Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So over the uh, Advent season, we've been talking about what it means to awake to the dawn of this incarnation, Christ, uh, uh, God coming in the flesh. Today, we want to look at that through the eyes of Joseph a little bit. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to the gospel in your bullets in there, Matthew chapter 1. And as you're doing that, just think for a second about maybe the last time that you had a dream, or if you've ever had a, tr- a dream that was so emotionally charged a dream that was so powerful that when you woke up, you were sure it was real. A dream that even after you've been awake for a couple minutes, you have to, in your own head, think to yourself, did that happen or did I dream that? You ever had one of those dreams? I for sure have. Dreams tap into a part of us that other parts of us can't get to. Dreams happen in a way that we don't understand or why they happen the way they do. It's a part of us that's very vulnerable because we have no control over our dreams. They just occur. The Bible says that the Lord watches over us while we're waking and while we're asleep. And so what better place to confront us with something that we normally won't confront ourselves with than in our dreams if the Lord really wants to get to us, right? Now, the tricky part with dreams, of course, is the recognition that some dreams mean something and others are complete nonsense. The ones that you had about chickens and people, probably just nothing to those, okay? Let them go. Matter of fact, sometimes people come to me and say, hey, I had this really crazy dream, and I want to tell you about it. And about two seconds in, I'm like, you just ate something bad. (laughs) That didn't didn't mean anything. They wanted to, and I get that, but it doesn't. But let's look at Joseph. Let's look at Joseph and this dream that he has. And what I think even is even more significant about what he decides to do with this dream because that is equally as crazy and has everything to do with the incarnation, God in the flesh, how it forever changed Joseph's life and why we're still talking about that dream today. So in the gospel, Matthew chapter 1, we just read it, look at it again with me if you'd like. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now, too far into this dream. Think for a second. Did God need Joseph? Did God actually need Joseph to be part of this story in any way? He had already created a child in Mary out of nothing. So what's the big deal about having her fiancé around? Is there a big deal at all? Because you can make the argument, I believe, that it would have been even more powerful for a single mom to have God's greatness, God's power fall on her and the Savior of the world come from a single mom 
But instead, God chooses to include Joseph. More so, God chooses to explain himself to Joseph. That's stunning. That blows my mind. God wants Joseph to be a part of the story. He wants a stepdad to be a part of this redemptive narrative, which is to say dads, stepdads, all dads matter to God. How do I know? He included Joseph. It's important. And to that, Joseph says, nothing. He's silent. Matter of fact, Throughout all of Scripture, we do not have a single recorded word from Joseph. He's like, if you're watching a movie, you have major characters, then you have minor characters, and then you have like extras in the background who are sort of walking around making the movie look normal. Kind of reminds me of who Joseph is in this story. And yet, he's incredibly significant from what we see just today. Because, and this is what I really want you to hear from me today, if you remember nothing else, remember this, Joseph was obedient. Joseph was obedient. And it's shocking that he was obedient because there wouldn't be any reason for him to be obedient except for this dream. What we also learn from Joseph is the old adage that is true right here, right now, and that is our actions speak louder than our words. Joseph has no words, so his actions are definitely speaking louder than anything else he could have done. How how loud do his actions speak? We're still talking about him. Thousands of years later. He heard God. He says nothing. He did exactly what he was told to do. Would that not be a great testimony for each one of us? If that was your entire life story, hear God, say nothing, do what he says. If that was on your tombstone, winner, kudos, well done. Let's talk a little bit more about Joseph and his situation in this moment. Here he is engaged to a young woman who is suddenly and very strangely pregnant, to which an angel says, oh, this is just an act of God. And this Palestinian cabinet maker has to then, at the end of her pregnancy, drop all of his tools and go to Bethlehem for some crazy census. After that, he has another dream, in case you didn't know that, where he has to flee to Egypt, where he has no network, no connections, no job, no place to stay. He knows no one, and he just goes there because in a dream, God told him to do just that. And yet, throughout all of Scripture, we know all of these things about him, and he still says nothing. It is remarkably simple obedience. Well, simply remarkable for all that he's willing to do. remarkably changed life. Hear that, because you can do the same. He had no idea what he was looking at when he looked at Mary being pregnant. But there's three things that we see just from today's passage that I want to tease out very quickly here. First, that through Joseph's obedience, he was able to do so even with the pain. Joseph was obedient even through his fear. And finally, Joseph was obedient in his ability to trust. So those are the three things that I want to talk about, pain, fear, and trust, and how we are obedient in the midst of those three things. So first, let's talk about pain. Joseph was called to obey God in 
extremely painful circumstances. Here he is engaged to Mary. Now in Jewish culture, here's what that meant. When you got engaged to a woman, it meant that you signed a legally binding document that you would be married to this person, that you have entered into a marriage covenant already, but then that woman would live with her parents for another year. It was a way of sort of showing your intent and if you were trustworthy. Then came the second phase of the marriage, and that was there would be a ceremony and officially the transferal where she would move from her parents' house into your house. And then a married couple would be together in every way. Joseph's experience with Mary and her pregnancy happens in, right in between step one and step two. He is legally in a covenant with her and her family. She gets pregnant, and they haven't gotten to step two yet. you got to believe he wanted to deny it when he first heard about it. But then she begins to show, and it becomes obvious. And Scripture says, incredibly, he was a righteous man. Joseph was a righteous man. What does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous? Well, it means actually two things here. The first meaning of being righteous was that he had no choice but to divorce her. He had to divorce her because according to the law of Moses, when she got pregnant legally, by Jewish law, she was considered a prostitute for getting pregnant. And a righteous man, righteous man had no choice but to divorce her, put it into the marriage that had not been fully uh, consummated yet but was coming. That's what a righteous guy would have done. But secondly, righteous can mean something entirely different. To be righteous might mean to be prudent or discreet, magnanimous, maybe big-hearted. And that's what he planned to do. That was the route that Joseph chose to take. He was going to go with two other guys, as was the rule, to her family, and privately, quietly divorce her. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have made a show of it, a spectacle. It would have been just as righteous, but he didn't choose that path. And it's right before he does that, that God invades Joseph's life with this dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. For that which was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Imagine when he woke up. Can you just see him in his workshop just pacing back and forth? Was that dream real? What does this mean? Am I as crazy as I feel? Sure, he wanted to go to Mary, talk to her, ask her. But from what we can see, he didn't. The words just got stuck in his mouth. This is excruciatingly painful to me. His business in Nazareth, it would have depended as a carpenter on him building up goodwill in the community over many years, over a long period of time. But then to have all of that goodwill subject to the gossip and the ridicule of other people for this pregnancy that has no explanation. How painful is that? And then there's perhaps one of the finest cruelties, one of the final cruelties here of this story. And that is that this son would never be actually with all of that on the table, with all of that right before him, he is still obedient. He is still obedient. 
is amazing. Secondly, let's look at Joseph's fear. The first thing the angel of the Lord says to Joseph is, do not be afraid. The angel doesn't say, don't be disgusted, don't be angry, don't be hurt, don't be ashamed. The angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Or in another way, don't be afraid to be obedient. Don't be afraid to do what I'm about to tell you to do, is what the angel is saying. And of course, Joseph is terrified by Mary's conception. God had come close, so close in fact, that it created a situation that scalded him with fear, that humiliated him with the very awe of God. So of course he's afraid. And we don't understand what's God, what God is doing. We don't understand what God is doing when he draws near to us, when he invades our world. It makes us afraid. And every time that God invades your world, you have the exact same choice. Will you be obedient or not? Will you listen and obey or not? That's your choice. Or will you let your fear take over? I'm quite sure that Joseph would have much rather gone to a shop, cleaned it, than be the stepfather to the Son of God. The facts are this, though. In the face of the truth that God had given him, he made a different choice. He did not go back to his safe, cozy, predictable life and try to obey God there. He said, instead chose this radical way. What about you? What about me? When God asks you to do something radical and crazy, do you say, hey, pick somebody else, God. I have my life already set up, and it's nice and safe and cozy and predictable, and that's what I like. I'll be radical in those confines, but not in the ones that you want, God. What do you say? So Joseph stakes everything on God's word. He pushes the fear away. It was present, but he doesn't let it, let it make his decision. So he obeys through the pain. He obeys in spite of his fear. And finally, he trusts God above everything else. Dreams are tricky, right? I frequently remember my dreams, though 99. Nine of them have zero bearing on my life. What if Joseph struggled with that as well? What if when he wakes up, he remembers this dream and he thinks, well, I remember my dreams, but so what? Who cares? This dream means nothing. Joseph didn't have a bishop or a preacher or a counselor. He didn't have somebody he could go talk to and help him decide if this dream meant something that he should talk about. He alone had to decide on the trustworthiness, the validity of this dream. And so we read what he decides. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relationships with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph obeyed God. He trusted and obeyed, and that obedience had consequences for Joseph. In fact, I'll tell you right now, when you choose to obey God, it will have a direct consequence on your life. Obedience always does, every time. And it was very personal and very immediate for Joseph. It frequently is for us as well. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relationships with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. Joseph had dreams about a marriage too. What a married life would be like those dreams didn't happen. 
not the way that he thought. He wasn't even allowed to name his own boy because it wasn't his. He was told to name it. But he trusted that dream, and it provided a lifetime of consequences for Joseph because no sooner had he then married Mary that they had to drop everything and go to Bethlehem for this census. It's during that census that the Son of God will be born. Obedience has consequences. As I was thinking about this story, think about it maybe this way. Say there was a, a young man today who was engaged to a young woman who suddenly and strangely discovered that she was pregnant and then that young man has a dream and he, in the dream he's told to stay with her. And he's staggered with this confusing event, so he then has to go to his parents and explain what's going on. He then has to go to her parents and explain what's going on. And he has to face the gossip and the ridicule of his town about an impossible story with circumstances that have never occurred before, but yet are now here for him. Sure they are. Then things get settled a little bit. And just as they get settled, some government bureaucrat says, you know what, you need to go and leave your town and go across the United States to some other town wherever you were born. So they get in their old car and they drove across the U.S. And when they get to their hometown, of course all the hotel and motel rooms are full because everybody's doing the same thing. And they go to the only place they can, a garage. He takes this woman that he's engaged to, not married to who's pregnant, who they both believe the baby's from God, and they go into this garage and the baby is born. I can only imagine that they take this baby and they wrap it in some shop rags and lay it on a workbench. And at this point, this young man would be, have to be wondering, what is happening to me? What kind of crazy life is this? As he's wondering that, there's a bang on the garage door people wanting to be let in, and it's street people who then come in and come to the workbench and fall before the workbench and begin to say, glory to God in the highest. That's nuts, right? But then seconds later, maybe a couple hours later, who knows, three stretch limousine pull up. And it's you and officials, and they walk in and they want to give Cougaran to this baby. That's nuts. But then the governor of the state that you're in calls up the National Guard and tells him to kill all the babies in that town. But before they get to this young man's new family, this young man has another dream where he's told to go to South America. It's ridiculous, right? This is a nutty story. If I saw a preview for this movie in the movie theater, I would wave my hand and say, that's dumb, I'm not seeing that movie. It's ridiculous. There's no plausible storyline in that story. And you're right. There's no plausible storyline in this story. If Jesus Christ actually came as God in the flesh, came to save the world as an infant, you need to know much more about this God. You need to discover more. You need to investigate him. You need to figure out what's actually happening in this story. Thankfully, we have this 500-page-plus autobiography 
that you can look into with some more details, check it out, and discover what he has for you and I. Because you see, brothers and sisters, the incarnation changes everything. It changed Joseph and Mary, of course, but it changes us to this very minute. All because God wants you to get to know him. Christmas, in just a few days, is a, another invitation from God to you that says, come, come and look what I've done to be near you. I don't want to be a concept to you. I want to be your friend and I want to be your savior. You don't just need me in pain. You don't just need me when you're afraid. You need me when you need to trust and when you need to obey. You need to listen to what I have to say. This is the message that we're about to encounter in just a few days. This is the message of Advent that we're in right now. It changed Joseph. It can change you right now through your pain, through your fear, and in, in your trust. You can encounter God afresh. We don't know Joseph's influence on Jesus. But we do know this. Jesus was also obedient like his stepfather. He was obedient all the way to the cross, all the way to death, and then in new life. Did Joseph have an effect on Jesus? I think he did. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the witness of Joseph to us today. Lord, we confess right now there's lots of things that keep us from being obedient. There's lots of things that we let get in the way or that we actually put in the way of listening to you. Lord, I, I, I know right now that you're speaking to people right here in this congregation, asking them, to listen to you, to obey you. And they're afraid, they're questioning whether it's really you or not. And I pray that you would just wipe away their fears and their concerns. Help them to follow that radical call like Joseph did. Because of Joseph's obedience, we're changed. We are grateful for him. I pray that should you choose to cherry another 2,000 years, people would be grateful for us because of our obedience like we are to Joseph. In your name we pray. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.